2: What's that
0: spell? San Diego!
2: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots
0: Welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese, And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Tres Leches. Yes.
1: Uh, and we are coming at you with some technical difficulties, but we're going to try our best. Yeah. Because... <laughs> tres Leches, we have to talk about it. We won't be
0: stopped. No, Jeez. certainly not. It is too delicious. It is too delicious um, and, and important. And this is one of the ones that you do not have a lot of experience with. Is that correct, Annie?
1: Yes. I think I've had the flavor before, but I can't recall specifically <laughs> oh, wow. any time having trace leches. Yeah. Oh, gosh.
0: Um, uh, this is mm-hmm. something that I grew up with, uh, as of like, like, okay. So I, so, so I lived in Ohio when I was very young. And, and then when I was like eight, I moved to South Florida and like the first birthday party that I went to had trace leches. And, uh, it quickly became one of my very favorite things. I too, to this day, I get super excited when I see it in a uh, in a in a in a bakery or on a menu. It is one of those things that I'm just like, yes, I want that all the time. That is so ideal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I really so it's on it's on our list. It's on our increasingly uncomprehensibly ridiculous <laughs> list of like dinner party yeah. foods that we need to catch each other up on.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a uh, kind of like Alice in Wonderland, but <laughs> saver edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it's getting I'm a little... i excited.
0: Oh, oh, as well you should. I mean, like, it's getting a little bit eldritch, to be honest, but that's okay. That's okay. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> um, well, you can see our episode on, um, on condensed and evaporated milks for a little bit of background here. Um, also on whipped cream. Yes. I didn't know whipped cream was involved. That was exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, which I guess brings us to our question. Yes. Trisoleches. What is it?
0: Well, uh, tris leches is a type of dessert made from a, a simple, airy sponge cake that has been soaked with, with creamy, sweetened dairy products and then topped with a fluffy whipped topping of some kind. Um, the, the, the name literally means three milks, uh, sh- short, tres leches being shortened from a pastel de tres leches or tres leches cake. Um, and the soak is where you get your, your titular three milks, um, typically sweetened condensed milk, unsweetened evaporated milk, and um, either heavy cream or whole milk. The fluffy topping may be a meringue or a whipped cream. Different flavorings may be applied, but it usually doesn't get too complex, like just a little bit of vanilla in the cake, maybe some rum in the soak, uh, maybe a sprinkle of cinnamon or cocoa on top. A little bit of cut fruit as a garnish. I don't know. Um, You can get as fancy as you'd like, I guess. Um, But yeah, the the result is this dessert that's moist and rich without feeling heavy, like the structure of the sponge can hold up to the moisture. Uh, It's served chilled. And just tastes so creamy and light, usually pretty sweet. It's like um, it's like pre-dunking a donut in a glass of milk. Uh it's like if ice cream were a solid at room temperature. Uh it's like if ice cream cake were like actually cake. Um or or, mm. or if bread pudding were delicate. It's like it's like if you had a like like a teleporter accident. Um, but instead of genetically mixing up like two people um, or or maybe like a person and a fly, you know, as you do, um, if if you mixed up instead Mm -hmm. like a sheet cake and a milkshake.
1: Oh, that sounds lovely. (laughs) (laughs) It is. (laughs) But even though I do see like a now a parody movie about Trace Leches in the realm of the fly and the style of the fly. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, I, I, Mm -hmm. I, I would watch it. Cronenberg film about Tres Leches. Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, uh, All right. So there are a lot of regional and personal variations on how exactly Tres Leches should be made. Um, And these are like slightly contentious variations, but I have not read any opinions that have like the level of vigor that we get with these variations sometimes. Like it is not a bagel. Thank heck! I didn't have the energy <laughs> for bagel level <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> controversy today. <Yeah>. Um, the <laughs> the important things uh, uh, everyone seems to agree are getting the textures of everything right for whatever value of right you adhere to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so let's break down this kind of like three uh, three strata that we're talking about: the cake, the soak, and the topping. All right. So. Sponge cake. Uh, Sponge cake is a type of cake that's leavened or risen by by whipping eggs into a stiff foam and then gently folding in sugar and flour to preserve that fluff that you've created. Um, You can also add a little bit of chemical leavener, like a baking powder, to get extra rise, but it's typically not necessary as the cake bakes, um, the proteins in the mix will stiffen up around the tiny little air bubbles that you have thus worked into the dough, creating a, a light but but structural and perhaps slightly dry type of cake at the end. Um, there's typically no butter or other dairy involved in the batter. Those things help keep cakes moist, but also tend to make them dense. Yeah, um, So sponge holds up really well in like fancy layered desserts. Like if you've watched uh, Great British Bake Off. You've probably heard a lot about it. Um, a, a flavoring like vanilla or a little bit of lemon even might be added here. And then after baking your sponge cake, uh, you involve you, you get the soak involved. So you poke the cake full of holes, like straight down from the top to the bottom of the pan, and then pour in your milk mixture. Um, the two critical milks are, again, sweetened condensed milk and evaporated milk. Sweetened condensed milk is a a milk that has been processed in a vacuum chamber to boil out like 60% of the water content without cooking the milk, yeah? Um, So you don't get like cooked milk flavor, Um, but to preserve it, you do add sugar uh, for preservation and for flavor, Um, but but it acts as a stabilizer. It's it's thick and sticky and very sweet. Evaporated milk, meanwhile, is an unsweetened version of this product that has uh, unflavored stabilizers added like like potassium phosphate something like that that's also why evaporated milk is usually like a pale tan in color instead of a creamy white it's just it's just concentrated milk it's sort of like a like a less fatty cream yeah uh both are sold Mm -hmm. in shelf stable cans your third milk product is usually heavy cream sometimes whole milk occasionally an alternate product like like coconut milk and people are passionate, I will say, about the appropriate ratio of milks and, and sometimes about the brands of canned milks involved. I wouldn't dare tell you what to do. Whatever you think is correct. <laughs> Never. No, no. Um, uh, flavorings like like vanilla, rum, brandy, coffee, or maybe like a coffee liqueur might be added to the milk mix. And yeah, yeah, you you, you let it soak into the cake. For at least an hour or overnight in the fridge. Uh, And the cake will do an impressive job of soaking up the liquid. Uh, Preferences on the final moisture level can range from like like self-possessed to to soggy-bottomed.
1: Oh, I like that little chart, that spectrum. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh,
0: um, (laughs) So when you get close to serving, you will top the whole thing with your fluff of choice. Um, Usually either a thick layer of whipped cream, sweetened and flavored to taste, or a Swiss or Italian meringue. And meringues. Meringues are our foams made by whipping together egg whites and sugar. Swiss meringue is like a little easier to make. You, you blend your egg whites with granulated sugar and then heat the whole mix over a water bath, like whipping all the while until it reaches about 140 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 60 Celsius or above. Um, there's an excellent serious eats recipe, as there usually is, um, and it recommends going all the way up to 180. So Check that out if you want to. Anyway, um, uh, uh, Swiss meringue is nice and light. Uh, Italian meringue is a little bit more intensive. It it involves whipping egg whites and then drizzling in as you're whipping sugar syrup that you've heated all the way to like 250 Fahrenheit. That's 116 Celsius. It'll be a little bit heavier and thicker in texture. Um, but, yeah, yeah, uh, personal preference of, of what you like making and, and how you think it should be done. I've read recipes with, like, a cream cheese icing on top. I don't know. There are variables. Oh. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And, and again, I cannot and further would not tell you what is correct to top your cake with. But once you have, you might dust it with a powdered sugar, spices like nutmeg or cinnamon, maybe some cocoa powder. Uh tres leches is usually served in squares or rectangles garnished with a, a bit of fresh fruit like strawberry or kiwi, maybe a canned fruit like a maraschino cherry or a peach slice. It's it's not difficult to make uh, with with modern technology, but it is a little bit finicky with with all that whipping, you know. Um, so it's a popular celebration food, you know, birthdays, graduations, stuff like that. Mhm. Okay, well, what about the nutrition? This this is a treat. This is calorically dense with some fats and some sugars. Um it does have some some protein and a and a good spread of micronutrients. I mean, you're dealing with a bunch of milk. That's that's cool. Uh but yeah, treats are nice. Yeah.
1: Treats are nice. <laughs> big, big fans. Big fans. Um and we're not the only big fans. We do have some numbers for you. Mm-hmm. So, this dessert did see a lot of growth during the pandemic, likely because Of the canned milk aspect of it. From 2019 to 2020, searches for Tres Leches grew by 25%.
0: Oh. Oh. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. I should have made some. Mm -hmm. Why didn't I? Heck. Yeah. Still could. Still could. Uh, I certainly <laughs> could. I certainly could. I, well, my, all of my stuff is in storage right now, but I, but I could hypothetically in the future, or, or I could just go buy a hand mixer. I mean, they're like $10. I, what could it possibly cost? Um, uh, okay. <laughs> and all right, our numbers for this are difficult to track down because it's not really like a mass produced kind of product. Uh, but, I do have one more number kind of so I, I have I have a small joke that that contains a number within it, um okay, yes, all right, cool. so okay I'm ready. leches in a stock on a mea? yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> uh that's that's thanks to uh to twitter human jordan w um who or, or, so i was i was talking to uh to, to mia of it could happen here the podcast on we were kind of chatting about what we were working on yesterday on twitter and uh and yeah uh uh jordan w uh, chimed in with Teresa leches and it's the and yeah so i just thought that y'all would appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Thank you for doing the good work and bringing that to our attention, Lauren. We do appreciate it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anytime, anytime. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, um, uh, there there are actually some economic components to how to how this dish has risen to, to popularity, and uh, we are going to get into that in the history section. Yes, but first,
1: a quick break for a word from our sponsor.
3: and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver.
0: Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you.
1: Yes. And we are back with another dish with a very contentious <laughs> origin story. Mm-hmm. A lot of countries lay claim to this dish. Uh, Nicaragua is a big one. Cuba, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Venezuela, others. Um And it has proven really difficult for those looking into it to pin down exactly where it did come from. Um, Because everyone they asked was kind of delightful. Some of the articles, everyone they asked was like, no, I had it. The first time I had it was at this specific place in Florida in the 80s. And other Mm -hmm. people were like, no way. It was from here in the 40s. Like, it was very interesting. They're all over the place uh, with this story. Um, But uh, one theory that has gained a lot of traction is that Tres Leches descends from the English trifle cakes, uh, trifle cakes out of the Middle Ages. At the time, people would, quote, rejuvenate, I love, uh, a stale Mm -hmm. cake or something like that, like bread or something, by soaking it in liquid. Um, Proponents of this theory point out that Nicaragua was colonized in the 1500s and 1600s by Spain and England, and the English may have very well brought these trifle cakes with them.
0: Yeah. And and I'll say that for sure, whipped cream was popular in Europe at that time. So, uh, yeah. Yes. And this was obviously a very
1: tumultuous time, a time of turmoil for the indigenous peoples of Nicaragua. um, And that did translate into the cuisine because people were experimenting With new ingredients that were available, Um, sugarcane and cattle were readily adopted in the area, and cattle were, of course, significant for the milk industry there. Uh, Still others say that we have to go back further uh, than this, and that these trifle cakes are descended from Persian and Turkish recipes describing cake or bread soaked in syrup.
0: Yeah, and it is a little hard to to parse out the exact evolution because... Right. People from all over have been soaking cakes and cookies and breads and like creamy and or sweet stuff for like pretty much ever.
1: Yes. Yes. And it's definitely one of those things that could have been simultaneously have separate origin stories at, or at different times, but they just have all kind of come together yeah. into this. Yeah. hmm. In fact, some believe that the history of Tres Leches in Central America is religious in nature. I really only found this in one place, but I thought it was interesting. Um, Pointing to other similar examples of of nuns and convents churning out similar desserts. um, And that the tripling of the milk uh, in the name is symbolic of the Holy Trinity.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, at any rate, historians seem to think that what we refer to today as sponge cake had developed in Europe by um like the mid to late 1700s and that it became popular in soaked cakes or had become popular in soaked cakes by the mid 1800s. Meringue is even trickier to nail down apparently. Um and I guess that makes sense because if you've ever dealt with a meringue, I wouldn't try to put a nail through that. Um anyway, yeah, the the word can refer to the two types we discussed above, Swiss or Italian, or a third type called French meringue, which is whipped raw with powdered sugar and is typically baked afterward to add stability. And the word may have been used on other egg white whips before those three developed. Uh, oh, nobody knows. Mysteries, histories. Um, it, <laughs> yep. it seems likely that stuff similar to French meringue may have developed in Europe also along the same timeline as um, as Sponge Cake. Like, it was around by the mid-1700s and popular in layered desserts by the mid-1800s. It's possible that we didn't get Italian and Swiss meringues until, like, Escoffier in the early 1900s. I'm not sure. I didn't... That will have to be researched for a different episode. I did not read that deeply into it to, to piece it all together. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and a lot of these
1: dates... I think just because of the nature of what gets recorded and things like that were later than I thought they were. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So one of the big ones is uh, Trace Leches saw rapid growth in Central America in the 1940s, which matches up with when canned milk products became more available in that area. Um, and the widespread availability of these canned milk products is related to a 1936 trade agreement That reduced duties on dairy products out of
0: Wisconsin
1: for Nicaragua. (laughs) And I think other things, but that's what's important for us.
0: That is very specific and I love it.
1: I know, right? (laughs) Uh, Companies offering these items, like Borden and Nestle, started printing recipes for tres leches on the label around this time as well. And we have talked about this previously, but canned milk was invented in the 1850s, but saw a big boost during the World Wars and the Great Depression because. It's just, yeah, staple products. Yeah. Um, easy to get. Yeah. Um, Recipes for tres leches didn't start appearing in Mexico and Nicaragua until, in the written record anyway, as far as we know, until the 1970s. Ooh. Um Ooh. Yeah, like in cookbooks and stuff like that. Uh, there are a couple of examples of very similar things uh, before then, though, like torta de leche and baba au rum out of France. Um, and some... Some people suggested that perhaps Trace leches was reserved for the well off at first, um, kind of only served in exclusive clubs and wealthy homes. So most people didn't know about it or didn't have access to it for, for some time. Um, it was allegedly called Swedish Delights, though for no known reason. There were some people who speculated, <laughs> like they thought maybe this canned milk comes from Sweden. Sure, or,
0: right. But
1: there was no real proof of that, it was just speculation. Huh. Huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nicaraguan Revolution and environmental disasters between 1979 to 1990 was the catalyst for tens of thousands of Nicaraguans to immigrate, uh, specifically to places like Miami, Florida. And so, as I mentioned at the top, a lot of people did specifically bring up this one restaurant. Mm-hmm. In 1981, Los Ranchos opened in Little Managua in Miami, and numerous people, yeah, they bring it up as their first memory of having Tres Leches, even people from Nicaragua. Um, oh, huh. It was so popular. Yeah, it was printed and distributed on flyers, and it was included in the 1997 edition of Joy of
0: Cooking. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, certainly by the early 2000s, Tres Leches had become a flavor for other people. Products like ice creams. Uh, both Haagen-Dazs and Bluebell had Tres Leches iterations in 2003. And today you can buy Tres Leches flavored uh, like concentrates and syrups and uh, and liquids to, to use in drinks or baked goods or candies or like even the scent industry. Yeah. Yes. Um,
1: and a spate of Trace Leches focused restaurants started opening around 2018. Huh. Uh yeah, so going back to like the flavors people were trying, there were
0: all kinds of flavors offered at these restaurants. Oh, oh that's so A fun. Lot. I can see mm-hmm. that being really very delicious. I um, I mean the the classic is is nice because it is so like kind of kind of straightforward. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, the possibilities. Yeah. The possibilities. Endless. Mm-hmm. Endless. <laughs>
1: well... Listeners, we would love to know about the possibilities you have had, our mate.
0: Yeah. Trace <laughs> Yes. Oh, so yes. much. Um, because that is about what we have to say about it. But we do have some listener mail for you. We do. And we will get into that after one more quick break for a word from our sponsor.
3: And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver.
1: And we're back. Thank you, Sponsor.
0: Yes, thank you. And we're back with this is the mail.
1: <laughs> Beautiful. And we had technical difficulties, and you did it, you nailed it.
0: <laughs> I guess time... at least
1: I think so, because I can't see it or really hear it that
0: well. Time will tell, folks. Uh <laughs> it's in the the future now it's supposed to be like
1: a triple (laughs) square. yes 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 all right well (laughs) uh eric or arc wrote that they're binging it so i don't think they've gotten to where we are uh, where we've said the name already but uh correct us if we're wrong um They wrote, still loving it. Love the science, the side notes, the puns, the D&D, the general fun of it. Mm. I'm with Lauren on sours. I love sour beers and will go to them first. If you ever head up north in Cincinnati, Urban Artifact makes wonderful sours. And in Pittsburgh, you will want to hit strange roots and Hitchhiker frequently releases sours. On Mayo, I have a love-hate with it. When used properly and with a good one, I enjoy it. Way too often, it is poor quality and overdone, making it, well, messy and unappetizing. I think someone has mentioned before, but if you can ever get a hold of some imported Kewpie mayo from Japan, it is great. You need the Japanese one since the one produced in the U.S. does not have Gasp MSG. Oh. Yeah. I've been told I would probably like Kewpie mayo. It's delicious. I'm, I'm still nervous, but I think I think I would. I think you're right. A little more, I have some reservations. <laughs> yeah. No, I,
0: I can see that. I'm still convinced that the thing that you dislike is Miracle Whip and not... Mayo. Yeah. But it's quite possible. Yeah. But either way, I mean, uh, but oh yeah, yeah. Um Cupy, delicious. Uh I I right. I I really need to get up north. Like the beer scene, like we're we're so um kind of uh, uh sequestered in the south. We we only get the regional beers down here, and so which which are great. Yeah. However, there's a whole world yeah. out there.
1: It's true, and we want to explore it.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, (laughs) Ah, Cecilia wrote. Yeah, I know. I just wrote yesterday. I'm making up for lost time. My husband and I took a tour of Sicily in February. It was quite wonderful. Before leaving, I downloaded all of your podcasts relating to Italian foods. I listened to several on the flight over. We did two food tours. One in Catania and one on the Amalfi coast of Italy. One of the things I wanted to be sure to get while there was some gelato. But we don't usually eat desserts after a big meal. And it was chilly, so we were not in the mood for a gelato in the afternoons. So after several days, we'd still not had a gelato. One evening, we'd had a big lunch and wanted something light for supper. And I suggested we just get gelato for supper. My husband isn't usually interested in deviating from the norm that much, but he agreed, and we went to a gelato place near our lodging for a supper of gelato. It was delicious. Another night, we were looking for a place for dinner, and we were on the main street in Old Palermo. Um, It was a chilly, drizzly evening, and the street was less busy than usual. The restaurants had their people out trying to draw customers in. One fellow, trying to get us into his restaurant, asked us what we wanted to eat. Uh, Normally, I need to look at a menu, and we'll choose something from the menu, but this evening I had decided uh, that I wanted gnocchi, because I was tired of eating long pasta. Uh, Oh, by the way, the Italians don't use a spoon to eat pasta, they just eat it twirled around a fork. And, like I said, it can be tiring if you aren't used to eating pasta frequently. My husband wanted lasagna. Um, He had asked for it at one restaurant and was told they didn't have it, so he was going to try again. So when this guy asked us what we wanted, Jim said lasagna, and the guy said they don't have lasagna. Then I said gnocchi, and he said, what's that? (laughs) My accent isn't perfect, but it's not that bad. I repeated it, and he still didn't know it. We were baffled. We ate there anyway and had delicious meals, but not lasagna or gnocchi. Our most memorable food experience was on the Amalfi Coast, where we had a Limoncello tour. Uh, Did you do an episode on Limoncello? If you did, it was not one I downloaded. We have not. she continues, "'We had a car with a private driver for this tour. We stopped at a restaurant that specializes in lemon dishes and limoncello. First, the chef got in the car with us and directed us to his home, about a half mile from the restaurant, overlooking the, uh, Tyrrhenian Sea. There, he talked to us about growing lemons under a canopy of lemon trees full of lemons. Did you know it takes more than a year for lemons to mature?' He then told us to pick some lemons. He needed a kilo, which was about five. Uh, Then we went back to the restaurant where he directed us to help him make limoncello. We peeled the lemons we had picked and put them into a pitcher of 98-proof alcohol. He said they needed six months to steep and pulled out a pitcher that was six months old and continued with that one. At that point, he added sugar and water. For an aperitif, he added prosecco and tonic water to a small amount of limoncello. Uh, He then prepared a four-course meal for us. The restaurant was closed for winter season, so we were the only customers. Each course had a lemon sauce. It was quite a special experience. The meal ended with a tiny glass of ice-cold limoncello. He stores it in the freezer. It was all delicious. (sighs) A note on Dutch pronunciation. Dutch is a phonetic language. The long O sound is spelled with two O's. O-O. It makes sense, no? So... K-O-O-L in Dutch is pronounced like coal in English. Um, the oo sound, as in soup, is spelled O-E in Dutch. The Dutch word for flower is B-L-O-E-M, which is pronounced like bloom. It all makes sense if you ignore the English pronunciation. <laughs> Cabbage salad in Dutch is kol sla The funny thing is I never realized how this sounds almost exactly like Coleslaw. Have you listened to the podcast, The History of English? It's very good. I think you'd especially enjoy the episodes on medieval foods. That's specifically episodes 132 and 133 from um, December 19th of 2019 and January 21st of 2020. Ooh, okay. Yeah, does send
1: right up a alley. <laughs> that does.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, yes. rad. I'll have to check that podcast out. Thank you for the Dutch explainer. I'm extremely confused by the yes. Dutch language, um, as I am with the English language and basically every other language. Um, but, but yeah, good. It's true. <laughs> good notes. Also, we have not done an episode mm-hmm. on the Mancello, but I love that stuff, and all of that sounds just yeah. incredible.
1: It does. It sounds like you had a lovely trip with amazing foods mm-hmm. and quite
0: jealous uh
1: yes. in a good way in a right
0: <laughs> yeah. right happy for you and also yeah. oh if you could have just teleported me all of that food i would I, <laughs> that would have been yeah. great yeah
1: yes agreed <laughs> well
0: And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy
1: toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com.
2: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She She Pivots